If you would please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, if you need a Bible, there should be some in the pews or chairs in front of you. And we're on page 614 there. Uh, 614 to find Isaiah 53. We're going to look at verses 10 through 12. And, and during Holy Week this year, we've been studying Isaiah's prophecy of the suffering servant. And so it, in Isaiah 52, verse 13, starting there and going all the way through chapter 53, this is called one of the servant songs of Isaiah that prophesies, that promises a coming deliverer, a savior. In this past Palm Sunday, we observed that nowhere else in the Old Testament do we more clearly see the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross than here in Isaiah's servant song? We observe that it was as if Isaiah was standing right there and witnessed the events that took place around the crucifixion when Jesus was crucified, when he was the Lamb of God that was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and by his wounds we are healed. Tonight, we're going to look further at the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross by looking at the, the final stanza of this servant song here in Isaiah 53, where we'll clearly see, we'll clearly see the grace of God accomplishing our justification by the crucifixion. And so here now the reading of God's word, Isaiah 53 verses 10 through 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Pray, pray with me, please. Oh God, our Savior, we... Thank you from the depths of our being for your wondrous grace and love and in bearing our sin in your body on the cross. May the cross be to us a reminder of your steadfast love. By the cross, crucify every sin. Use it to increase our intimacy with you. Make it the ground of all of our comfort, the liveliness of all of our duties, the sum of all your gospel promises, the comfort of all of our afflictions, the vigor of our love, thankfulness, graces, the very essence of our religion. And by the cross, give us rest so that we may give you ceaseless praise. Amen. So here from Isaiah's prophecy that we've been looking at this week, we clearly see the doctrine of justification. The doctrine of justification. Maybe you've never really thought about what does that mean? It's a strong and important Bible word. Justification is that wonderful truth that, that God, by his grace, he, he pardons our sins. He forgives our sins and he accepts us as righteous. 
And he does that because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's the whole reason that we're gathered here this evening on this Good Friday because of the love of God poured out for sinners by Jesus' work on the cross. And this justifying work actually has its roots here in even Isaiah. If you look there in verse 11, this is the way Isaiah refers to the justification of the suffering servant for sinners. He says, the righteous servant of the Lord will make many to be accounted righteous. And he will do this because he will bear their iniquities. We already established this past Lord's Day that Jesus had to die for sin. And he willingly did so. He willingly went to the cross. We've come to realize that that sin is a, is a really big deal. And it's a big deal not just because we have done bad things. Sin is a big deal because it is against a holy God. God is holy and therefore sin must be atoned for. There must be a penalty for sin. Sin cannot be forgotten or ignored. For if God were to do that, he would not be holy. But he is holy and he is just. Sin must be atoned for. John Piper gave a wonderful definition of sin that I want us to meditate on a little bit this evening. He says, what is sin? Sin is the glory of God not honored. The holiness of God not reverenced. The greatness of God not admired. The power of God not praised. The truth of God not sought. The wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the promises of God not believed, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. When we think of it that way, when we think of that being what sin is, it is clear that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of the cross is that God has done what we could not do for ourselves. By his mercy and grace, he sent his one and only son to be a sacrifice of atonement in our place. Jesus died in our place. And tonight I hope that we will all walk away from here and, and learn that what Jesus did on the cross is far greater, is far more wonderful, is far more loving than even we could imagine. How? How could that be? Well, I want us to look briefly at three wonders of God's love by Jesus' death on the cross. Three wonders of God's love by Jesus' death on the cross. I know the song said two wonders, but we're going to go with three tonight. The first wonder of God's love is we learned that it was the will of the Lord that Jesus would die on the cross. Look there in verse 10 of Isaiah 53. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Do you realize what that means? Did you, did you catch the meeting there? It's, it's astonishing. It almost seems heretical to even read it. 
It was the Lord's will to crush him. Is that true? Is that biblical? Is it right to say that? Yes. Yes, it is. That very famous verse, John 3.16, when it said that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that is a G-rated version of saying it was the will of God to crush his son on the cross. Jesus was crucified for our sin. He was made a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. When we think of it that way, we think of God's love that way. God's love for his people is, is boundless. It's, it's limitless. It is indescribable. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. What would you, what would you give up that was precious to you to demonstrate your love for someone? Would you sacrifice your career? Would you sacrifice your retirement? Would you sacrifice your home? Would you give up your new shoes? The cross teaches us that God would destroy his one and only son for his people. That is what he gave up. That is the wonder of his love. And the second wonder of his love we see here from Isaiah's passage, we learn that our sins are traded for Christ's righteousness. Our sins are traded for Christ's righteousness. Here we have, right here in the Old Testament, in verse 11, what is clearly articulated in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we read, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what the theologians call this great exchange. In this exchange, Jesus died on the cross. Our sins were, were placed on him and they were crucified. But something else happened. Something also wonderful and amazing. His righteousness was given to us. He makes us right before a holy God with his perfect righteousness. It's a good deal for us, isn't it? He, he was crucified for our sin. We are made righteous because of his righteousness. How can the many be accounted as righteous, Isaiah says. In other words, how can sinners be made right with God? Well, we need a scapegoat. We need a scapegoat to bear our sins and to take away our iniquities. And Christ, our Savior, has done this for us on the cross. Amazing, wondrous love. And the third wonder of God's amazing love that we learn about in verse 12 is that Christ interceded for us. Christ interceded for us. He makes transgression. He makes Intercession for the transgressors, Isaiah says. Do you remember that quite terrifying story in the Old Testament when God called his servant Abraham to do something unimaginable? Abraham was at the ripe old age of 100. 
God had finally blessed him with the promised son, Isaac. And he said, I want you to take Isaac up there on the mountain. And I want you to sacrifice your son to me. And just as Abraham had raised the knife to slay his son out of obedience to God. What happened? The Lord interceded. There was an intercession. He said, wait, stop. And there was a ram caught in the bushes by the horns. And the ram was sacrificed instead of Isaac. Brothers and sisters, we are the ones under the knife. We are the ones that deserve death for our sin. And at just the right time, God sent his one and only son to intercede for us. To take on the penalty for sin for us. Notice the intense personal nature of what Christ has done for us. Notice the, the personal salvation, the personal way in which God shows his love for us. He says that he makes intercession for the transgressors. That is you. That is me. Jesus was crucified for you and for me. Not for the possibility of salvation, but definitely for our salvation. I want us to close with an illustration, I think, that can be helpful for us all to understand exactly what Jesus came to do when he died on the cross. As many of you know, one of my favorite books and stories is the C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. And in the first, well, the first book that he wrote, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you hear the story of Edmund's betrayal and Aslan's sacrifice illustrates what Jesus did for us. Uh, the second brother in the story, Edmund, had turned his back on his brothers and sisters and chose to, uh, chose to follow the empty promises of the evil queen. And he chose those, he chose the queen's evilness over his own family and he became a traitor. And the evil queen declared that all traitors of Narnia belong to her and she has the right to sacrifice all traitors on the stone table because that is what the law of the deep magic of Narnia demands. Aslan the lion, who is the, the Christ figure in Lewis's stories, knew that this was true and that the deep magic had to be appeased and there was no getting around the fact that a sacrifice had to be made to satisfy the law of Narnia. And so he did something that would leave the whole Narnian world speechless. He goes to the evil queen and he offers himself as a substitute. He would die in Edmund's place. He would suffer the traitor's death so that Edmund would not die. This greatly pleased the queen because taking out Aslan would be much better for her rule in Narnia than taking out the human boy. And so Aslan died on the stone table at the hand of the queen. And all Narnia was plunged into darkness and despair. But the next day, something happened 
that would undo all of that despair and all of the hurt. Aslan rose from the dead. How could this happen? How could this be? How did that get undone? Aslan explains to the children, there is a deep, there is a magic deeper still, which the evil queen did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. In this fantasy, Lewis captures the deep meaning of the cross. It reminds us of why Jesus willingly died on the cross. It was for transgressors, traitors like you and me. Our Lord Jesus, who committed no sin, who was the spotless Lamb of God, Isaiah says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, we have been given everlasting life. Because Jesus was crucified on the cross, we have been justified. Pray with me. Oh Lord, we thank you for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he willingly went there to die, to make intercession for transgressors like us. Lord, we pray tonight that the, the cross of Christ would be more beautiful in our hearts and in our lives, that we would see that what Jesus did for us there, it means everything, everything. Lord, please strengthen our faith. Please help us to see the wondrous love of Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing the gospel song in preparation for the supper. Westminster Shorter Catechism that asks, what is the Lord's Supper? 
brothers and sisters, let's respond together. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to Christ's appointment, his death is showed forth and the worthy receivers are not after a corporal or carnal manner, but by faith made partakers of his body and blood with all his benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. Please be seated. Hear now these words of institution from Matthew chapter 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The scriptures teach us, and hopefully was taught tonight, that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Without an atoning sacrifice... There can be no forgiveness of sins. And when the Lord Jesus Christ said in these words of institution that this cup is the new covenant in my blood, he was demonstrating for his disciples that it was going to be his blood that would be shed. Not ours, not a lamb, not a goat. But the blood of Jesus Christ would be the atoning sacrifice for sin. And so we come this evening and we celebrate his work on the cross. Why? Why would we celebrate that? Well, because he told us to. And because it demonstrates for us how deep the Father's love is for us. And so we drink and we eat of it often so that we would remember, so that we would worship, so that we would know the love of God more fully. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and a member in good standing of a church that teaches and preaches this gospel, uh, you're welcome to this meal. This is not a cornerstone table. It's not a Presbyterian table. It's a table of the Lord. In a moment, the elders are going to come through and distribute the elements individually. We ask that you hold them and take them at our instruction. If you need a gluten-free option, you can let an elder know uh, here in the the middle. Uh, And we ask that you would just take moments to to pray and, and to sing and to meditate on the wondrous love of God and what Christ did for us on the cross. Let's pray. Father, how deep is your love for us that you would send your one and only son, that he would be our ransom. We thank you that by his death, we have life. We thank you that though our sins are many, your mercy is more. We thank you that we've been accounted as righteous because he bore our sins in his body. 
And so as we celebrate this meal that he has given to us, we pray that you would use it to spiritually nourish us and grow us in your grace. That you would take these ordinary elements and that you would use them for your holy purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you as often as you eat of it. Do so in remembrance of me.